This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by some of our amazing patrons over on Patreon. Thank you so much to Sabrina Hersey Issa. Thank you so much to Emily Holter. Thank you, Raven Star. Thank you, Emily. Thank you so much to Billy Waits. And thank you, Cody Lee Mullen. If you would like your name shouted out on our primary episode, you can support us on Patreon for $10 a month. And if you support us for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode as well as access to our backlog of all of the Gotta be like hundreds, 150 at this point. Yeah, of episodes that we have done so far. That's Patreon. Yes, that's patreon.com slash just break up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like loneliness, other people's assumptions about us, mm-hmm. and accountability. Mm. I know, it's going to be a good one. But <laughs> before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning that um, Sierra and I are just two humans who <laughs> Real do not humans. know, <laughs> right, who don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. We don't have any training in this. We haven't, like, literally, we haven't, like, even worked in any fields. Remotely (laughs) close to relationship (laughs) advice. We have lived experience in this stuff, some of it, but, like, often not even that. Yeah. So, (laughs) So please remember that we're humans and don't take our advice or (laughs) just period. Don't take our advice. (laughs) Period. Anyway, let's start. I I meant to say, and please take our advice as you see fit, which could be not taking it at all. Absolutely. (laughs) We are only here to offer our humble musings, hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding, but mostly confusing experience that is love. All right, Sam, what's this week's check-in topic? Okay, this week's check-in topic comes from a DM that we got, and I'm just going to read it because I think everything about it is great. Yeah, it's very cute. All right, so they wrote, what is self-love and what does it actually look like in practice? I, like many others, have been told by my therapist that I need to practice more self-love, and I feel like it's a phrase that is often tied with self-care. Think bubble baths, face masks, et cetera, et cetera. When I think that it's a lot more than that, Mm. like more intentional work on yourself. I know Sam has talked about his single time a few times before and the way he loved himself then, but could you expound on this concept a bit for those of us who are truly doing the work to love ourselves? I think that is such a good question and really Mm -hmm. is pushing our societal understanding of self-love because I totally agree. It's absolutely conflated with these um, purchasable Mm. (laughs) capitalistic experiences that we give ourselves, that we tell ourselves 
I'm going to take a bubble bath and this is me like nurturing myself when mm-hmm. like it can be it for sure can be. And also truly loving yourself is like not being so fucking cruel to yourself in your head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you for know, sure. or like doing the actual work to be like, why am I like this? And do I forgive my like, can I forgive myself mm-hmm. for being this way? Or am I allowed yeah. to am I am I a safe space for myself to make a mistake? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and even thinking about self-care too, right? Like self-care doesn't always look like bubble baths. Sometimes self-care is like paying your fucking bills. Or yes. Like, yes. Or like shoveling the Budgeting. sidewalk because you know that you need to do it even though you don't want to, right? Like self-care can be so much more than just like the gooey, fun, like relaxing stuff. Sometimes it is like... Mm-hmm. Self-care is like making yourself dinner even though you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like sometimes self-care is sobbing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes self-care is like uh sleeping, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's not necessarily like the pretty shiny thing that we've come to associate with it. And also like, can't you see like the Instagrammable like graphic of like, I love myself, self-care, hashtag self-care. And I just don't think it's I think we're forgetting that so much of healing and self-love is like, it's animalistic. It's at our core, you know, it's, it can Mm. be just like hugging, like literally hugging yourself. We talk a lot about like nurturing your inner child, which again, Sam and I know very fucking little about (laughs) because we're not trained professionals, but like Uh changing the way you talk to yourself. Do you, when you talk to yourself, do you, do you call yourself names or do you say like, oh, that was stupid of me or whatever? Mm -hmm. What if we change that to say, uh, that wasn't stupid of me. I totally understand why I responded that way, you know, Mm -hmm. or when you, you know, every time I lose my wallet, which we talk about in this podcast a lot, I'm always like, oh my God, I'm such a fucking idiot. What if I said, no, it, like my life is really busy and it's really hard to keep track of things, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, absolutely, At, like intentional kindness. Uh, I know a loved one of mine um, in her inner child work, she talks about like literally talking to herself and like hugging herself as though she was a child saying things like, um, I believe in you. I'm going to keep you safe. I love you unconditionally. There's nothing Mm. that you could do that would make me stop loving you. Um, You're allowed to make mistakes, things like that. For sure. No, I love that because I feel like the way that we approach self-love is so tied to both of our love languages. Because <laughs> yours so is funny. like words of affirmation. Like how am I talking to myself? And mine is like literally how am I taking care of myself? <laughs> like totally. how am I doing acts of service for me as opposed to like for everyone else around me? And like that's what I learned from that time when I was single was like I learned how to take care of myself mm-hmm. in like a way that was like parenting. Because like we, always, we often so talk real. about like self-love is also like self-parenting of like either telling us ourselves the things that we needed to hear when we were kids and that we didn't get the opportunity to hear or like parenting ourselves into like making better decisions for ourselves mm-hmm. to like encourage us to, to, you know, do the exercise that we don't want to do or, or, um, you know, talk to the person that we don't want to talk to or like make that appointment that we know is going to help with our stomach issues, totally. but we don't want to do it. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. And, and what I learned from being single was that, like, it's a joy to take care of myself. Oh, like, it is that. so wonderful to make myself dinner. And I'm not talking, like, make myself fancy steak dinner with, like, 
all of these good things like yum yum what yum, a wonderful yum. like like saturday night i mean like what a joy it is even though it takes time and sometimes i don't want to do it to like make myself that thing nourish that yourself I, for sure yeah absolutely or like what a joy it is to um be mindful about my finances yes and be like to 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 like look at my bank account even though i don't want to <laughs> you yes. know what i mean like all of this stuff that i'm sort of actively avoiding because because it allows me the narrative to say i don't deserve this stuff yeah or like oh i'm fucking up so much that i can't even look at my bank account because i know it's going to be a shit show wow and instead being like no i can look at it because like i am an adult who knows how to take care of himself and deserves to be treated well mm. <laughs> like deserves to be taken care of by me um and it's it's one of those things like adrian from yoga with adrian i love her um she always says like when we're sort of moving between positions she says move like you love yourself which i love because it's not love yourself in this movement it is do it as if it's already happening mm. because the, and that's really what i learned from like that time when i had to take care of myself was like even though i didn't necessarily love myself when i was 23 years old living by myself I did the things that got me into the habit of doing those things. Yeah. And then it became easier to believe it the more and more yeah. that I did it. It was like, oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I feed myself every night. So I guess that means that I deserve to eat dinner. right? Yes. Like I'm making plans with friends. So I guess that means I deserve to have friends. It's just like the practice of it can sometimes lead to actually believing it more and more as well. I totally agree. And I love the connections to acts of service. Like and we're not talking again, like. A bubble bath can totally be an act of service because you're giving yourself an opportunity to relax, to feel, I don't know, adorned, to feel cherished. And also an act of service could be like, what am I doing right now to to make this the life that I deeply love and want to live? You know, mm -hmm. what is Absolutely. what are what are my actions in alignment with, you know, and what I love about your comment about love languages is that those two things become deeply connected for me. The act of service leads to words of affirmation or better beliefs about yourselves. Cause you're saying mm -hmm. I deserve to eat dinner every night. I deserve mm -hmm. to, to nourish my body. I deserve to rest. I deserve to have friends. This is right. not a coincidence. My friend, you know, like I think a big part, a narrative that I had to like learn when leaning into self was love was that like my friends love me as much as I love them or um, mm. I deserve the, the nurturing that I give to others or vice versa. You know um, I think those, those practice acts of service for yourself that you're talking about leads to these uh, mentality shifts, especially when you name it. I've been thinking so much about our Virgie Tovar interview in which she talks about like radical acceptance and naming things like, I'm, I'm making myself dinner tonight because I deserve it. Saying that out mm. loud could be deeply uncomfortable for me at different times of my life. Telling myself that I deserve to eat, you know, eat dinner at night is could could be very difficult in the past. And now, but now I know it's true. I deserve this. I deserve the comforts of my life. I deserve um, the comforts of my relationship and 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 whatnot because I know I'm worthy of all those things. You know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Cute. Yeah, no, and I think I think even words of affirmation too can like build a practice, even if you don't necessarily love yourself. Like, can you commit to saying two nice things about yourself in the mirror before you leave yes. the house? Right. Like, what is one thing about or two things about how you look in this moment that you're like, 
I'm going to do that. And again, it might feel disingenuous, right? It might feel yeah. like it's like it's practiced, but like the practice builds towards actual belief systems, yes. right? Like doing it over and over again is like if you tell yourself two things about yourself that you like every morning, it's going to change the way that you see yourself because instead of searching for flaws every morning, you're going to be like, okay, well, I got to search for things that I like because that's that's what I do. And, and they it can like be simple. changes the mindset for sure. They can be so simple. Like um, if you call yourself an idiot for like dropping or breaking a glass, you can just say, I didn't deserve that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I like, mm-hmm. I, I like the reminder to start small with that because you know, we weren't, we didn't give ourselves our inner narratives. We inherited them through external forces. Yeah. And practice. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. like, so that can feel really intimidating and disingenuine. Like it can feel really fake to be like, I love myself when you know, damn true. That's not how you feel. (laughs) But starting, (laughs) starting small, um, you know, Sam lately has been saying on the podcast a lot, like, of course you feel that way. Of course you feel that way. And, Mm -hmm. and how powerful of a thought of a radical loving thought for yourself to just say, I'm feeling all these feelings and I'm going to say to myself, of course I feel this way. I'm stressed. I'm overworked. I'm tired. We're fucking still in this pandemic, you know, or whatever. Um, for sure. It can be really small baby steps make, make change. Absolutely. Cute. Love that check and topic. That was great. All right. You want to get Thank into you to, letters? to whoever DM'd us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The first letter of this episode is coming to us from a pile of lonely mush whose pronouns are she, her, and who is writing to us from my bedroom floor covered in laundry. Sam and Sierra, I love you guys and this podcast, and it really has been a lifesaver when we were deep in the pandemic, and it's been so cathartic to hear listeners' letters and you guys answering in such an empathetic and loving way. I've usually just been listening, but I'm at such a low these days. In other words, I hope you can hear me out. I'm so, 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 so lonely these days. So lonely that I've been seriously entertaining the option of contacting my ex-boyfriend, he, him. I know, I know. Don't do it, you'll say. It says that on your merch. You've says it, said it multiple times on your show, but I've been so desperate these days. For context, I'm a 27-year-old straight woman, and I've dated a lot. I know numbers are all relative, but the numbers of dates I've been on feels like a million, <laughs> and the number of times my heart has been broken probably even more so. This ex I've been thinking about contacting. He's technically the only, quote, boyfriend I've had and my longest relationship. I dated him for three years and we had our ups and downs, but we were so close and I felt like I could always be genuine and authentic with him. The kind of closeness where he could pluck the hairs off my chin and we would pee with the door open. I know this is kind of gross, lol. Totally not gross. Totally pee with the door open. I know of course you, you, do. do, you don't though. I know. No. That's like the ultimate Sam and Sierra litmus test. Is that like <laughs> pee with the door open, pee with the door closed. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, <laughs> but the point is, <laughs> I feel like that's like some fucked up merch that I'll make in the beginning. Are you Perfect. team PWTDO? Question mark. <laughs> Dumb, 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 dumb. Okay. I love it. <laughs> um, anyway, but the point is, we could be nasty and still love each other I, anyway, or even because of it. It really felt like he loved me. I could call him whenever and talk to him about anything. I felt so safe being around him. But the biggest issue that we had 
uh, were related to the toxic relationships with his family and admittedly, in retrospect, a toxic relationship with me. I realized after the fact that I treated him terribly, that I did things that were textbook toxic because of my own insecurities and doubts. And the worst thing of it all and the deal breaker at the end of the relationship was I cheated on him with someone I had dated briefly years before him. I still hate myself so much for that stupid decision. It was at a point in the relationship where I was unsure about my feelings and the future of our relationship. And when I met this other guy, I felt sparks and butterflies that I hadn't felt in the longest time. And my stupid self in the moment thought, oh, he likes me too. And I went for it. Then immediately regretted it. I felt like throwing up. I felt so guilty. I told my boyfriend and that was the beginning of the end. We ended up continuing the motions of dating while not officially, quote, together, kind of like an open relationship. It sort of worked until I went abroad and we talked every day for half a year, but then he started getting distant and avoiding my calls and eventually disappearing altogether. I eventually came back home from being abroad and all the remnants of our relationship were left behind. It feels devastating. Our lives were so intertwined. We had a bunch of shared accounts and shared belongings. The last interaction I had with him regarding sorting all of our belongings, he took forever to respond, but eventually texted very coldly that we shouldn't ever talk again. It destroyed me. I tried to delete photos, throw away mementos, but these days I cannot get him out of my head. I'm going absolutely insane. I feel like I fucked up the only genuine relationship I've ever had and ruined the chances with the only person who will ever really love me. I know this is the scarcity mindset talking, but when you've dated as much as I have, it just feels like I'll never be loved and that there's something inherently wrong with me. I keep having to tell myself that our relationship can never go back to the way it was because of what I did, but I can't help but wishing I could do it all over again. I've been so depressed lately and don't know what to do. I feel like that was such a jumbled word vomiting mess and I'm not sure if it's even coherent but if you can offer any words of advice or just acknowledgement I would be ever so grateful thank you for reading thank you so much for writing pile of lonely mush it was not incoherent we understand and we're <laughs> and we're so sorry you're feeling so lonely and depressed right now oh absolutely yes um yeah I think that that feeling of looking back on a relationship and just being like Ugh, I've really fucked that up and it could have been so great um, is such a, a trying or difficult emotion to be having, especially when you're feeling incredibly lonely given all of the stuff that you you talked about. So like, I'm so sorry that you're going through that and I'm, I'm so sorry that there's this like, um, this white whale out there that you're feeling like, oh, I he got away and I just wish I could find him and, and bring him back fault. into my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I was the one that did everything wrong in this situation. Um, I was the toxic one. I was the cheater. I was the one that let conversation lapse, whatever it is. Um, and it's hard to be in that situation where you think you're the only one to blame and that you really fucked up something that, that could have been perfect. Would it, were it not for your, imperfections that that caused a relationship to break totally i see that a lot in this letter like i we talk a lot about people over romanticizing their past relationships but i don't think it's as simple as that like it's hard when you when you fucked up and you feel like you're not proud of your past self it's hard not to look back on that time and be like it was way better than I thought it was in the moment. You know, like, mm. who am I to be like, you're over romanticizing that when you learned from your experience that that's something that you that you wish you didn't cheat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to say that you're over romanticizing it, although you 
you you could be because that's what we do um, to to prevent our own healing sometimes. Um, but I do. I'll. I, I'm not sure if this is the best way to phrase it, but I'm gonna say you're. You may not be over romanticizing, but you're not being honest with yourself. Mm. And the the very first point of that 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 appeared to me in the letter is when you said this, you know, our relationship fell apart because of toxic relationship with his family members and admittedly a toxic relationship with me, my fault. I, you know, like I was the thing that that broke this relationship down. And I know I can hear you say like, but Sierra, I cheated. I pulled away. I did all these things. I went abroad. Um, but it's not you're not being fully, is it a hundred percent your fault that the relationship ended? Look me in the non-existent podcast eyes <laughs> and tell me this is a hundred percent your fault and that you are the only person to blame or that there is blame right. at all. No, that you're that this partner that you had was just sitting over there in their perfection, perfection. doing absolutely nothing wrong and just existing in a in a perfect way, um, and that you were the one that came in and just like fucked everything up, and now you hate yourself for for fucking up this perfect perfect thing. Yeah, and it's really easy to do that in it's retrospect. So easy to, to do that <laughs> to look back and be like, oh, especially as we're trying to like. Well, I'll say this, especially as we're trying to learn more about ourselves and like recognize some of the behavior that we might want to change or not yes. do in the future. It's also really to do easy to do this when we're feeling lonely and depressed and want to use this as a weapon against ourselves Yeah. to say, yeah, absolutely. You're a horrible person and you're never going to find love and everything, all the worst things that you think about yourself or all the worst things that people have said about you are absolutely true. And this is proof of it. Yeah. You know, it's wild. I just had like this crazy epiphany that so often the discomfort of hating ourselves and looking backwards at the mistakes we made and like wishing we could change them and romanticizing the time before that discomfort is often much more palatable than us than the discomfort of of picturing ourselves being alone and happy. Like mm. I, there's so much back looking in this, in this letter and there's so much, there's so much past idolizing in literally like all of my coping mechanisms, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. it, I so rarely look forward, you know, I'd much rather beat myself up and I'd much rather like quote, hold myself accountable in my self growth by telling myself like what a fuck up I was than saying Okay, so I made a mistake. I wasn't the person that I want to be today. Who do I want to be today? And can I be happy with that person today, tomorrow, the day after, if mm. my past doesn't forgive me? If my mm. if people in my past don't tell me that I'm worth that forgiveness. Mm. We would much rather turn around and like self-flagellate and like really beat ourselves up not that we like accountability is important man like i think i think it's really like sam said earlier it's it's powerful to know who you don't want to be anymore right but i'm just sitting here thinking like what would it look like if you focused on your future self and what would it feel like to tell yourself i'm okay if i'm alone 
I'm mm. lovable if I'm alone. Aloneness is not a punishment for the mistakes I made in the past. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that that's such an important thing to remember, right? Like us are being alone, our being single isn't a punishment for for things that we've done, right? It's not like the universe is trying to like exact retribution on us. It's just that like, no, we're, we are in this moment single. And I also think like you talking about how it's easier to um, hate ourselves than to like focus on our, our current self yeah. and like what we want to be doing or like what what it looks like to be single and to find comfort and happiness in that, in that being single. I also think it's like much easier for us to hate ourselves than to sit in the discomfort of the ambiguity of the universe, yeah, right? Like yeah. in the ambiguity of what relationships are between people, it's easier to say, I'm going to hate myself into submission. So I never make a mistake because if I never make a mistake, then I will always get the relationship that I want or things will never go wrong. Right. And that is absolutely not true. Yeah. You can, relationships are messy, right? They are complicated. Our relationships with other people are so ambiguous. They are never fully knowable. And they are, there is no perfect formula to follow when it comes to being in relationship with another person. But hating ourselves is about control and like oh my god you're so right like that idea of like that self-flagellation that you're doing is is really unkind but it also comes from a point of kindness inside of you too right you are trying to protect yourself from having to go through something similar again it's so it's so I'm yeah i'm <laughs> right like it feels like an oxymoron to be like yeah you hate yourself because you love yourself right like but that's what's happening here your that inner voice that's telling you that you fucked up everything that inner voice that's saying i hate you that inner voice that's saying you made such a stupid mistake is trying to protect you by trying to make you into a perfect thing that's never going to be hurt anymore and is never going to hurt anyone else because in this the same statement that you use in the letter like that you are never going to find anyone else who loves you like this that you, and that you're inherently broken. Believing that is much more comfortable than saying, I am open to the absolute terrifying unknowns of the future in which I forgive myself and allow myself to receive love from other people. For sure. And that I'm never going to perfect myself enough to never have issues in relationships, to never experience breakups, to never fuck up again, right? Like you can't do it. I'm just going to tell you right now that the voice that's trying to control you into submission so that you can be perfect enough that nothing bad ever happens, that voice is wrong. Mm. It's just absolutely wrong. You can do everything quote unquote right in the world and still get completely fucked over or still make a huge ass mistake. <laughs> this this fucking person wrote in and is like listening to us go like 30,000 floors deep into this question and is literally just like I just want to know if I should text my ex or not. <laughs> they know what they're signing up for. Yes, yeah. <laughs> They've listened to this podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm going to answer that question though. <laughs> and I'm going to answer it with more Please genuine then hashtag block 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 block. Uh Part of accountability and self-growth. Well, first of all, time out. I loved what we just said. Like, I feel like spiritually high-fiving you because <laughs> I, I had so many revelations listening to what you were saying and, and talking that out with you. 
Uh, number two, going back to the letter writer, uh, should you text your ex? Part of accountability and self-growth is also about recognizing what other people's boundaries are, what other people's journeys are, and mm -hmm. what what are the things we can and cannot control, right? Um, your ex said we shouldn't talk anymore, right? Mm. Period. He said that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he's requesting of you. He's requesting of you to respect that space. I know that you're lonely and I know that you have these regrets and I know that you are wishing that you could redo all of this and you have this idea in your head that this relationship could go differently. And guess what? It could in, in some realm of the world, like it totally could. I married an ex of mine that I was terrible to, you know, um, but there was... <laughs> There was a time in in my life in which I thought I was never going to see this person again. Um, mm. And there's also every time I bring up the fact that I married an ex, I don't mean that in terms of like there's a to do list that you can do out there that gets you back with your ex. <laughs> I'm just saying, Despite like, the I feel 17 you. 17 letters that we get. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like... I, I feel you. Um, but part of growth is saying just as other people don't have inherent constant access to me i don't have constant access to other people that i mm. need to respect their wishes and more importantly more more than just like general respect for other people's boundaries reaching out to him is not going to heal this wound right reaching out to him is not going to make your beliefs about yourself and why this mm -hmm. happened and how you are inherently more fucked up and mm. unlovable than everyone else that's not going to solve those feelings. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's the big question is like, what what are you searching for in wanting to reach out to this person, right? Is it absolution for the things that you've done? Because we can absolve to... you. Absolutely. You, you can You're absolve forgiven. yourself, girl. You're forgiven. Right? Like, it's literally done. Absolutely. Or is it to say like, oh, he'll want me back and there that will prove that I am lovable despite the things that I did, Right. I'll tell you right now, you're lovable despite the things that you did. And like, so my question for you is what are you seeking and what does it look like to find those things for yourself? What does it look, what does it look like to, to look at those things to say, yeah, I treated this person poorly and I cheated on him. And that was a really shitty thing that I did. I'm not a shitty person, but those were shitty things that I did. And that was the best that I could do. Or, and here's all the things that led me to those things. And like, I know it wasn't the right thing to do, but it's, it's understandable. Like, of course I did it that way, right? What does it look like to look at those things and offer the things you're seeking from this conversation with him or this reuniting with him and find those things for yourself? And I don't mean to be like toxic positivity, like, mm, find your own peace, right? But like, what does it actually look like to... Give yourself the gift of examining this in a way that isn't self-flagellation, but is about really looking at the full context of what happened in the situation. And instead of just identifying those places where you fucked up, look at all of those places where things happened, where you made choices and say, that was the best that I could do in that situation. I wouldn't do that again. And also, that was the best I could do in those moments. And I forgive that part of myself for doing it. Or I know that even though I cheated, I'm still a lovable person, mm -hmm. right? Because 
finding it in him is going to be temporary. It's going to always be conditional, right? Because it's going to have to come from him. But what does it look like to come from you instead? What does it look like to say, I'm not a fuck up. I'm just a person who fucked up, right? <laughs> How does it, what does it look like to, to take those actions, those things that you regret and remove them from your understanding of who you are as a person and just say, everyone makes mistakes, literally. That's what Sesame Street says. They, they sing that song. Everyone makes mistakes, so why can't you? Do you know I literally think that to myself probably like twice a day? <laughs> like, I think that you're a very emotionally in-depth person. <laughs> like I literally, whenever I'm like, God, you, I can't believe you did that. It's like, everyone makes mistakes, so why can't I? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I know that we went like, I said 30,000 <laughs> floors deep on this one. Um, but that's where it is at the core of this, right? At least that's where Sam and I go. Spend a um, lot of time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not about not contacting your ex. It's about forgiving yourself and leaning into the discomfort of what that forgiveness means, right? Sure. The unknown sure. of it, right? And not relying on anyone else to tell you that you're forgiven or lovable or worthy. And also, on top of all of that, I just want to say, I'm sorry you're lonely. Loneliness is such a terrible physical feeling, and it's real. Mm. Everything you're experiencing is real, and I'm sorry mm. you're feeling that way. I hope you feel a little, I, I feel. I hope you feel a decimal less lonely right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. Y'all, as a self-employed person, as a mom of a toddler, I am always struggling with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all of that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, you have full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses. You can see all your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, Rocket Money can help cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month. So I can clearly see my spending habits and check myself if needed. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even help try to negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you, which I obviously love as a somewhat introverted, conflict-avoidant person. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Rocket Money has over 5 million subscribers and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash just break up. That's rocketmoney.com slash just break up. Rocketmoney.com slash just break up. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets, sweaters, and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. 
Quince has things like premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. This past month, I treated myself to a pair of new slippers because I'm in that hashtag mom life era of my life um, in which... (laughs) Um, I am never not in slippers, and these are 100% Australian shearling lined clog slippers, and I love that they're slip-on, but they have those durable rubber outsoles. They're super cushy, super comfortable, but I feel like I can run outside to, like, take the trash out in them while also, like, staying warm and active in the house. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash justbreakup for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash justbreakup to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash justbreakup. All right. Our next letter comes from Definitely Not Straight, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing from the train of endless thoughts. Choo-choo. (laughs) Choo-choo. Dear Sam and Sierra, a part of me is super excited to finally have something to write about to you. And the other part is just confused and annoyed by my own endless thoughts. I sometimes I'm like, wonder if like people are excited that they did something wrong so that they can write to us about it. And this think, affirms I that. I don't think they are. <laughs> <laughs> That's just going to be my guess, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my early 20s and have identified as a lesbian or gay or a gay woman since I was 14. While I never completely ruled out falling for someone that is not a woman, I always pictured myself marrying one, and there are just a lot more women I am attracted to than other genders. I had a friends with benefits situation with an at the time male presenting person before, but they were always open to me about not identifying as a man and came out as a trans woman during our relationship. So while that experience taught me that I have the capacity to feel attracted to someone that is not a cis female, I still fit into my queer identity. Currently, I am seeing a really cute guy. He's a lot of fun to spend time with and is way better at communicating openly than I am. In the beginning, I was pretty relaxed about it and thought, we will just see what happens. But now that he has expressed that he would like things to develop into a monogamous relationship, I am freaking out internally. And I don't know whether it's internalized by phobia telling me that being with a man would take away from my queer identity, or maybe I'm just gay and don't want to be in a relationship with a man, or I just don't want to be in a relationship with this specific man. I feel like I'm 13 again, and I do not like it. <laughs> I've noticed that I am not as excited to tell people about him as he's, as I usually am when I like someone. I think it has something to do with the fear of being perceived as straight. I don't exactly know why, because there's no there's nothing obviously wrong with being straight. But I am definitely not. And the thought of people, even strangers, assuming that I am straight makes me super uncomfortable. It didn't used to be that way. Before, when people assumed I was straight and I corrected them when I got the opportunity to and didn't care when I didn't. So why am I suddenly so insecure about it? I used to be able to laugh about it when people assumed me and a male friend were a couple. But now when I am out with the guy I'm seeing, I hate the idea. I haven't met many friends of his, but when I did, I always made the point of mentioning my ex-girlfriend just to let them know that I am not straight. 
How do I figure out what my queer identity looks like for me? How do I relax and focus on where I want things to go with this one human instead of freaking out about what others what others think of me? Am I just being biphobic? Thank you so much for reading this letter. Any and all thoughts and or advice would be greatly appreciated. Yours, definitely not straight. Oh, my darling. Thank you so much for writing. I am confident that there is going to be a lot of resonance in our Just Breakup community considering how many letters we get from folks struggling with their bisexuality or their fluidity or their pansexuality or whatever their um, current identity is and the validity of it. What does it Mm. mean to be, let's use bisexual as definitely not straight does. What does it mean to be bisexual and be in a straight presenting relationship or a queer presenting relationship? And how does that impact our perspective of other people and ourselves? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I love that this is about like, I'm really concerned about what strangers are going to think about me <laughs> because I like, I find that incredibly relatable. Yeah. Like this idea of like, what are, what are these random people on the street going to think about me or my relationship? Um, and I think it gets to not even this idea of which I know that you're struggling with of like, am I still a lesbian or gay or bi? Like that question too. Right. Those are really important and and hard questions to grapple with. But also this idea of like, and also, what is that person I pass on the street going to think about me? And are they going to know all of the complexity and nuance that exists in my sexuality? Or are they just going to assume that I'm a straight woman? Like, what am I supposed to do about that? Yeah. Like, I, I just love that question because I think it is so. Um, it's just so relatable, this idea of like, oh, man, I'm going to walk through the world and nobody's going to know the complexity and the nuance that exists in me oh and my identity and the things that I experience. You just went 15 <laughs> floors deep in, that, in this elevator. I can't. I can't no, not. But that is so fucking fun. <laughs> That's so real, which is to say, like, whether you are queer or bisexual or questioning straight, no one is ever going to know the full complexity of your human being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So this letter uh, obviously resonates with me as somebody who has struggled with internalized biphobia for sure. Um, And I just want to say, like, yes, we are all biphobic because we are obsessed with a sexuality binary. Yes. As a culture. Um, Mm -hmm. And also this letter makes me hate gender. (laughs) (laughs) This letter makes me hate gender because I think at the core of our biphobia, um, at our core to have things be on a binary in general is this idea that um, gender represents more than it does, you know? Mm. Um, and, And we all know it does. Like we do exist in a very gendered heteronormative culture so i so i'm not saying none of these things aren't real but um if we're going down in that introspective elevator (laughs) Mm -hmm. um my first instinct is to talk about biphobia and about how like your sexuality could change you know when you're 80 at, at you know you could be straight passing or excuse me you could be straight or identify as a lesbian your entire life and then at 80 years old you could meet that one hot neighbor in the nursing home that you're like i want to get down with your d man like Uh you know like uh, sexuality is so malleable even when we even when we're so secure in it 
because mm-hmm. we could never anticipate this full diverse spectrum of other human beings that we will meet in our lives, right? Um, so there's that. But then also the 10 floors down in the introspective elevator just makes me feel like we're so obsessed with gender and that it affects it affects the way we relate to strangers. You know, like you mm-hmm. were talking about on the street, like being worried what it means um, when like it, you know, even if somebody saw you with a male presenting person, does that mean anything about them or you? I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm spiraling down the elevator shaft. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Welcome. becoming inarticulate. So you should take over. <laughs> um, so I guess what I'll say, like tactically concretely is to say that like, I don't know the answers to the question that you asked about whether you are bisexual, whether you are a lesbian who's attracted to this one man, or whether you are just not attracted to this man. Like, that's all for you to figure out, because I I don't know. I'm not you. I'm not in your body. What I will say is that, like, you get to define what your experience of your sexuality and this relationship are for yourself. There is no right or wrong answer. And it's okay if your answer today is I'm a lesbian who's attracted to this one man and tomorrow it's I'm bisexual or tomorrow it's I'm bisexual and I'm not attracted to this man, (laughs) right? Like it is okay for all of those things to change. And I think we have this, this idea that sexuality and that gender are really, um, sort of static they're they're fixed in particular ways and i understand sort of the political expediency of Mm -hmm. that to say like i'm a gay man and i will never be anything but a gay man so you have to treat me well as a gay man because i'm not going to be anything else Mm, so real and that political expedience has come i think at a sacrifice of the reality of the fact that there are so many nuances so much fluidity in our experiences of gender and sexuality and yes there are people who are always going to be like yep i'm a straight man i'm always going to be a straight man i'm always only going to be attracted to cis women right whatever that is and we can talk about like how that plays out in weird ways (laughs) but i don't want to discredit also people who are like i'm i'm fixed i'm pretty firmly fixed and i don't want i'm not fluid and it's not changing right like that is also a legitimate identity to carry and a legitimate way to express it so all to say you get to decide and you get to decide today and you get to decide something tomorrow and the day after and the day after that and this um this desire to put a label on it i think is really understandable because it helps us make sense of the world and your legitimacy as a person who has attractions isn't undermined by the fact that there's no label on it right now yes that's the perfect way to say that um i also want to encourage you as somebody my like as as somebody who has also struggled with this feeling of not really sure who or what I am and been had the anxiety of like, well, what does this, what will people think of me in this circumstance, even these strangers or my loved ones, um, if I present one way or the other? And like in my experience, I felt like I needed to do a lot of like, weird caretaking like I either needed to you know like how you said you you dropped the ex-girlfriend phrase like I would totally do that but it was so that people would know that they were like so that they would know me but also it's it's a way that they didn't 
they weren't like surprised later, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> sure. I just like felt like I had to do a lot to be justified to be the person I was. Right. Um, or going to fucking, uh, gay bars or queer bars and going there alone and feeling like I had to drop ex-girlfriend to feel like I had a right to be there. We're not going to get into the politics of safe space right now. That's another letter. But um, (laughs) um, but I just want to say that anxiety was really real for me. And and it's real for you. That's it's I'm sorry that you're experiencing that. And I'm sorry that it feels like it's probably clouding your judgment of like whether you want to like be with this person or not. I just Mm want to encourage you that like. I'm assuming that you have other queer friends or not queer friends. I encourage you to be transparent with them. Like you're talking about like that you're less, you're less confident about bringing up this crush or this new person to your friends and community. Um, Number one, bringing things out into the open, into the air disempowers them. Number two, something like biphobia is broken down by having conversations about how your queerness isn't dependent upon the person that you're currently engaged with. Right. So that you Mm -hmm. could, you could come to your, I mean, I've had these conversations with Sam, you know, you could come to your friends and say, I'm so I got to tell you guys, I've been seeing this person. They want to see me more exclusively. And I think I'm going to try it out pending your feelings, you know, sure. I think I'm going to try it out. But honestly, I've been anxious to tell you guys because it's a cis heterosexual dude and I'm feeling really uncertain about where I fit in my queerness or like what my identity is. And I mm-hmm. like feel weird that I'm self-conscious about bringing it to you guys and sort of processing that with your people. You know, I think we, I think like I'm proud of Sam and I's friendship and our little friend bubble for how you and I over the last 10 plus years have dismantled the biphobia within ourselves and within our friend group. And like, we did that really lovingly through hard conversations about why we felt the need to be loyal to this gender binary when it comes to the sexual spectrum, you know, and it came Mm -hmm. from conversations about like vulnerable conversations about this about relationships you know yeah yeah no that's that's real those types of conversations are are really impactful um and i think it speaks to this letter speaks to right like this idea of like i don't want other people to assume that i'm straight and people are going to assume that you're straight because that is right the assumed norm right so when people see a male presenting person and a female presenting person holding hands, they're going to assume that those yes. people are straight. And there's not a whole lot we can do about that, yeah. right? Besides having more of these conversations that Sierra was talking about. And so then the question becomes like, what can you do? And I think doing the stuff that we've talked about, about remembering like people's perceptions of your sexuality, don't delegitimize your sexuality, right? right. Like what other people think about you doesn't mean anything about you. <laughs> right. And two, it can be a moment of reflection and self-awareness to say, okay, here's how I'm experiencing people making assumptions about me. What other assumptions am I making about people that I meet or that I see on the street? And how can I practice more curiosity so that even though I can't force other people around me to be doing the same thing, I can commit to my own values and the change Mm. that I want to see for myself and for others. 
And so what does it look like for me when I see two people walking down the street instead of making assumptions to instead be curious about what's happening or instead to say, what am I assuming here that isn't act that I don't actually know to be true? And how can we do that for each other too in conversation as well to say like when somebody makes a comment about somebody being straight to say like, well, we don't know that they're straight. Have they confirmed that? Or like, you know, know. practicing this this ability because we can't control what other people on the street are going to be able to do, but we can yeah. control how we approach these types of situations. And that might give us a little bit more, um, a more feeling of like control to accept the things that you can't change to yeah. say like people are going to do this, but to say like, but I know that I do this too. And so what are some things that, that I can do differently? Point. That's such a great point because honestly, the best thing I did for my own internalized biphobia or my own struggle to justify who I was, was to realize that I too policed other people's sexuality based off of my yeah. assumptions and my internalized heteronormativity, right? And if yeah. I, you know, like the, the name dropping the ex-girlfriend thing, what would happen if I didn't require other people to do that to stop me from assuming their heterosexuality? Do you know what I mean? Like sure. I do yeah. that because I think it's required, but the the next deeper step, the 60,000. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome down here. The pits We're of just hell. in the basement. <laughs> the basement of introspection. Um, the next step would be saying, I'm not going to require other people to divulge their entire sexual history to to allow them to be really complicated yeah. multifaceted people i'm going to assume that people have the level of complexity and nuance and richness that i know that i have in my own experiences right i'm going to assume that everyone has that level of depth like what does it look like to do that i think that would be such a profound change that we could make i think so in too. how we interact with people to instead of saying like it's a good oh, reminder you're this type too. of person mm -hmm. right to say like no because i know that i have so much more complexity than that thing that word that i just said about that person so like what what are their experiences of those identities that i'm assuming that they have or other like just such a cool exercise for us to be doing around like embracing the richness of other people mm -hmm. and assuming that they have richness that equals our own. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. <sighs> okay. Um, I feel like I loved everything we said here. And I also feel like we've had a dozen really great conversations about sexuality and fluidity and things like that on um, former episodes. So um, if we've missed anything, y'all, <laughs> I don't know, keep listening, <laughs> um, which reminds me, uh, our website, justbreakuppod.com, not only has um, all of our episodes uploaded onto it where you can search by topic, um, it's not going to be perfect, but like maybe, you know, if they've been, they've been, um, what's, oh my God, what's the word? T tagged. Tagged. <laughs> Tagged. Tagged. Uh, what's the word I'm thinking? What, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they've been tagged. Is that they is have that... tags on them? Yeah. Okay. So like, I don't know, gaslighting. <laughs> I know. I, I'm a hundred years old right now. And they, but there's also a blind date segment, so you can check out all the blind dates um, from uh, awesome 
the last hundred and bajillion episodes. Um, if they're ever not updated, it's just because we are not on our shit, but we are doing our best. That's right. Um, right. My darling. There's only, there's only three of us. <laughs> <laughs> my darling, um, uh, definitely not straight. We hope that this helps and we hope that you feel validated. Absolutely. We love you very much. We love you. All right. This brings us to the blind date segment of the episode. Every show, we like to shout out something that we love that we want to send you home with. And this week, we are setting you up with a book called The Grace of Kings by Ken Liu. Um, <clears throat> so this is a book that came out a few years ago that I missed. It didn't come across my radar, um, but it is like a it's a fantasy novel um, that they're calling sort of um, silk punk as opposed to steampunk because it takes Cute. place and is sort of based off of um, the dynasties, particularly of um, of ancient China. And so I love fantasy novels. You know, I am a huge Game of Thrones fan for better or for worse. I know people have opinions about that. Um, but part of what I love about the books, the books from Game of Thrones is how incredibly sort of flushed out they yeah, are. Immersive. Just immersive in the way that people talk to each other. Totally. Um, and I've I love this book because it is epic like Game of Thrones, but it's written completely differently than that. Yeah. And it's a reminder to me that like not all immersive novels have to look like Game of Thrones, but that there are like multiple ways that those can exist. Um, it tells the story of this, of these sort of 12 different what are called Tiro states um, that have been brought together under one empire um, and like the political fallout of that. Um, it tells the story both of like the people who are participating in the highest echelons of the society, like the nobles or like the the heroes of the war. It also tells the story of like different commoners that are that are experiencing it, too. It's just sort of multifaceted in all of the different ways that mm -hmm. it tells the story. And it's just like incredibly imaginative. There are things in it that surprised me, which like as a person who reads a lot of fantasy, like not a whole lot surprises me. Like there are <laughs> tropes and you're like, uh-huh, yep, I know how this is going. Um, <clears throat> but this one, some of the like the really ingenious ways that like problems are solved or like battles are won were just like a delight to read because I was like, what is going to happen next? Like, how is this happening? Um, so it was really good. I loved it. It's one of a series. I haven't read the other ones, um, but this one was fantastic. So I definitely recommend it. Again, Wait. it's called The Grace of Kings. It's by Ken Liu, L-I-U. Lovely. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DM, send us your favorite relationship themes. But most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. Please remember to subscribe or follow and leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts and consider us supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Just Break Up is a production of Duvid Media, original music, recording, editing, producing all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis. Make sure to check out his music under the name Big Cats on Spotify and check out his brand new podcast that aired last week called Finding Quantum Quest. And remember, you are loved and loving even when you are single, even when you are uncertain, even when your fear tells you you are not. 
But this does not mean you are perfect. And your imperfection is a part of your lovability. It makes you more interesting. It makes you more human. And it makes you worthy of the exploration that is living. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>